and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast for the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Ariel Frank. I'm your co-host, Nick Pazza. And today we have a special guest. I say special because he's one of our very own committee members, Greg Robinson. Welcome, Greg. Hi, everybody. Welcome back, Greg. It's been a while since we've had you here. <laughs> it's been too long since I've been on an episode. <laughs> But uh, I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Well, we, we've often heard uh, you speak to others so kindly about uh, how, what they're doing and what they're working on with uh, much interest. Well, today uh, you're in the spotlight. So why don't you start us off and give us a broad idea of uh, what, what program you're in, what, what stage you're in. I think you're almost done now and, uh, and what you're working on. Yeah, definitely. So I am finishing up my master's in the Department of Physiology and Pharmacology. I'm a part of the Collaborative Specialization Program in Developmental Biology. And I work in the lab with my uh, supervisor, Dr. Ching Ping Feng, uh, who's a cardiologist uh, here at Western. And my research essentially is to feed THC and CBD, which are the main cannabinoids in cannabis. I feed this to pregnant mice and I look at the effects on heart development. And I actually started this study as cannabis was becoming legalized. And so it was very, it was really good timing. Yeah. Cannabis, how many names for cannabis are there that you can think of? Go. <laughs> oh, there's a lot. There's. For those who don't really know for sure what you mean yeah. when you say cannabis. <laughs> Marijuana. Um, I don't actually know a lot the of the devil's lettuce <laughs> yeah thank you thank you I'm, I'm not really familiar with with um, all the nicknames actually ironically when i first started i knew very little about cannabis i n did not know what the plant looked like never really wow. seen it you know i oh, well. felt it that's about it <laughs> okay <laughs> so you so you went right into this i mean you probably had questions when they said okay here's a something we might want to want to look into i mean what's the premise for, for looking into like uh, cannabis in a, in a, mo in a mother, uh, yeah, pregnant it, mother? That's a great question. So yeah, when I first started, I actually wasn't planning on doing this research. I was originally going to start looking at the effects of diabetes in pregnancy and looking at various chemicals that could prevent the negative effects of diabetes on heart development. There has been previous um, people in our lab that have looked at multiple different insults on pregnancy, including diabetes. My Another previous master's student looked at the effects of nicotine on heart development. But uh, I was going to start by looking at the effects of diabetes. And there's a couple chemicals we were talking about. A paper came out right before I started, basically saying the chemical we were going to look at wouldn't be helpful in pregnancy. And so it was the Friday before I, I started. Um, and I started on Monday. And my supervisor just sat down and we were like, okay, like, what should we do? And we listed off a bunch of different things. And my supervisor had an idea. I had an idea. We did two ideas at once for like probably the first five or six months. And eventually it was like, we got really good data from the cannabis study. So we went with this, but the whole idea was at the time it was cannabis was just becoming legalized. We knew very little about the effects in pregnancy. But there was obvious effects, obvious negative effects. There was a few studies that had shown um, epidemiological studies that show if you consume cannabis during pregnancy, 
the babies are much smaller in weight um, and they're more likely to have negative outcomes, um, overall just negative outcomes. And so there was some reason that maybe we should be looking at you know, heart development or really any congenital abnormality. But the main reason why we decided to study the heart obviously is we're a heart lab, my supervisor being a cardiologist. And so we really just tested it out because nobody had really looked in the past, nobody had really looked thoroughly into determining if there was any abnormalities in the heart caused by cannabis. So that was really the main reason. It was just applicable at the time. Nobody had thoroughly studied it. And it seemed like a good idea. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't too difficult to actually test out this hypothesis and see if, um, if there was any effects. And so that's exactly what we did. We just tried it out. And we used a bunch of different um, techniques known as serial sectioning, um, using histology and immunohistochemistry, uh, just to look at the actual histology and look at the the morphology of the heart and see if uh, there was any congenital abnormalities. And we found a bunch of different ones for both THC and CBD, interestingly. And uh, it turned out to be a great study. We got a lot of great data from it. Well, um, I, we're, I'm really interested to, to know, you know, some of the specifics of like what, ha- what went wrong in the heart uh, with THC and CBD, but maybe um, you know, I think a lot of people have an idea, like you're talking about cannabis, you're talking about like the, the stuff that's in cam- cannabis, but they're, you know, probably picturing where they've seen weed normally, like, you know, their, their, their crazy uncle comes home with a joint and they, they're talking about, or they're just their friends. I don't, a lot of people smoke nowadays. <laughs> it's, it's legal, right? The point is they, they're, they're expecting like someone rolls a joint and they smoke it. And that's like how the exposure is. And I'm wondering in the context of a, of a model or a rodent model, um, is this is this similar like how how do you how does it compare like what set us up for what the experiment how the experiment actually is done before we know the crazy effects sure yeah definitely so when i i first suggested to my supervisor let's actually get cannabis in and let's put it in some sort of smoke chamber or some people have for certain animals actually got the animals to smoke it i believe i'm not exactly sure how they did it but like certain ones i could see like a gorilla you could get a grill at a smoke marijuana. I, I could definitely see that, but like to get a mouse to do that because we use mice in our lab, it'd be very difficult. I don't think they would willingly start smoking marijuana, and they don't, I don't think they have the hands to do it. So that was <laughs> really a question. Yeah, they. I don't think they could reach. It'd be out of their reach. But um, yeah, so it definitely means like they couldn't obviously smoke marijuana. But like we could put it. There are chambers that you can put in the animals inside of and then you can vaporize THC or you can uh, vaporize the the actual cannabis and that would be one way that they could consume it but we chose not to go that way even though uh, smoking cannabis is actually the main way uh, most people consume THC it has as of more it's more common as of currently uh, not more common it's becoming more and more common that there are other methods, specifically through oral consumption of THC as well as CBD. There's a lot of different edibles, there's different drinks, there's extracts that you can just put in your mouth and it absorbs. Um, you can, or you can, you know, there, there's many different ways that you can consume cannabis, but oral is becoming much more common. And so that was one idea that we had. Now, there are other models that have previously 
um, looked at in vivo effects of THC and CBD. And specifically in rats, they would quite often do IP injections. That's where they inject it right into the stomach. But with mice, that's a lot of stress. So on rats, you can get away with it. But with mice, they really don't like it. And so that was one method we, we really... So the easiest way is to just put liquid THC into their mouth and get them to drink it. And so that's by far the easiest way to do it. And so we thought, let's just do it that way. You don't have to worry about, you know, putting it in some sort of uh, smoke chamber and then maybe some of the smoke gets out. And that's obviously, you know, not good depending on if you smoke marijuana or not, or as well as, you know, ethical issues about, you know, you're doing a study and you'd be a little bit high. That wouldn't be good obviously, but um, so the easiest way is just feed it orally, THC or CBD, and it's becoming more and more common. And one of the great benefits of this is that many people consume CBD orally, and it's a growing industry. And so this is really where we came up with our model. Let's feed it uh, THC or CBD orally, and we do this every single day. And we start at what's called embryonic day 3.5, so when we set up the mice, uh, the female mouse with a, a male mouse and it mates, the next morning we call that day 0.5, embryonic day 0.5. Um, and we can actually tell if they have mated. And so three and a half days after that, that's three, day 3.5. And we start feeding THC or CBD that day until every single day until we collect or until parturition, which is when um, the mouse is born, the, the litter is born, all the, the pups. So I imagine it would be a much bigger problem like if you were like studying the lungs or something with regards to actually like having like the mice like inhale it versus like eat it but like I guess with the heart it's not really a big deal as long as it gets in the system but I believe that it's THC and CBD makes it more difficult to get in, to get pregnant is that the same case for mice Yeah so I wouldn't say consuming cannabis is some sort of way that you can, as a human, prevent getting pregnant. That's not, I wouldn't recommend that. Um, but actually, with mice, you are correct that it does prevent, um, prevents, it It reduces the chances that they will actually become pregnant. And so in it's our- It's not a contraceptive for humans. <laughs> yes, I think it may actually be a contraceptive. It might be like very, it might reduce the rate you become you're likely to become pregnant, but um, I would not recommend it. It's not a very effective rate, as well as from a lot of the studies that we're seeing, if you do become pregnant, that child would more likely to have defects or more likely to have various problems growing up. Uh, so definitely don't recommend it. If you're trying to get pregnant, don't consume cannabis. That's really the moral of the story. Okay, so, uh, all right, we have a good idea. That's kind of interesting. So now we kind of compare it in our mind. It's like, not, not they're not smoking a joint. These mice are, are eating it. You know, they're ingesting it somehow. Uh, yeah. And you're providing it to the, to the mother at a certain age. Uh, the pups are at a certain age. And then, uh, and then you, you know, let them, let them give birth. And then you look at the, uh, look, look at the baby and see uh, the baby mouse and see, see, what, see what's up with it. So you were mentioning some like, you know, methods in which you in which you looked at the mouse um, you mentioned like histology and congenital defects so so what is a congenital defect and how does one discover it with this uh, histology thing yes that's a great point so we actually if we're looking at congenital defects or congenital abnormalities so that's really just any abnormality at birth and so that's what congenital means at birth 
Now we don't actually look at birth. It's much easier a day or two prior to birth to actually do a C-section and collect the babies. It's much easier because sometimes, you know, it'll be the 20th day, the, the mouse will give birth, or it could be the 21st. You don't know exactly when it does. Um, so you might just miss it. Like you could be on the 20th day, you go check and it hadn't given birth yet. And an hour later, it gives birth. You don't notice until the next day. And so your pups are actually a day older. Um, and that can make a huge difference. And so the easiest way is just to know when they've mated. And we look at embryonic day 17.5 to look at um, heart morphology. And so at, at day 17, embryonic day 17.5, we will then do a C-section and we'll collect all of the babies. And we then take it through, a, we, we put it through a bunch of different chemicals, the babies, um, specifically the torsos. We'll, we'll put through a bunch of different um, chemicals to uh, dehydrate it and then put it into a paraffin block, which we can then cut in section. That's what sectioning is. You cut it into very small pieces. And then we put these small pieces on a slide, which we can then stain with you know, hematoxylin or eosin. We can do an immunohistochemistry stain, which is where we use antibodies to stain various, prop various different um, chemicals within the sections, uh, a certain color. And so we can identify certain proteins, um, or we can just, you know, the easiest way is just to do an H&E stain, and that's how we detect morphology. Because then when we do an H&E, we can look at, you know, how big is the heart? Where is everything connecting to? Is there any, you know, overt congenital defects? Or is there any just abnormalities that are a little bit different than what we would normally expect from um, a mouse's heart at that time point? Okay, so we, before we go further into your methodology and re results, just so everyone else knows, can you kind of explain like the pregnancy cycle, like lifetime frame of a mouse in comparison to like a human, just so it's like easier to understand like what kind of times, like how many days does it take you to do this? Like how long yeah. is a mouse pregnant for? So that's a great question. Yeah. So obviously human pregnancies, they have three trimesters. So this is, oh, what is that? Nine months? That's nine months, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm terrible at math right now. Uh, so that's nine months for a human pregnancy, right? Whereas for a mouse pregnancy, it usually it's around uh, day 19 or 20 that they'll give birth approximately. Um, and it's, it's a little bit different that um, in human pregnancy, it's the early on the first couple of um, the, the first trimester or two is pretty similar to um, huge, um, mouse development over the, the 19 to 20 days. And so basically how the heart develops is it starts as a little, as a crescent um, of just uh, progenitor cells and they'll actually migrate together and form a heart tube. And the tube is the first uh, functional unit of the heart. And so you think a beating heart, like the first time that you have a beating heart in an embryo, you would think it'd look like a heart. It actually is a tube. Interesting. So not enough. even muscle cells or anything? Uh, so it's a tube with very like early on sort of cardiomyocytes, muscle cells. Um, it eventually will then go and undergo looping and form something that sort of looks like a heart. There's a bunch of different processes occurring at the same time where uh, it undergoes septations that instead of having just one, you know, large ventricle and like one atria, you'll actually have two by having a septum develop between the two of them. You have valves develop, you have what's called compaction where 
the heart will actually compact into a thick, compact myocardium, which is the muscle of the wall. The coronary arteries need to develop as well. So there's a bunch of different processes, and it's a very complicated development. Um, heart development is very complicated, and it's very easy for it to go wrong because of this. And so many different chemicals, like as I mentioned, you know, for diabetes, hyperglycemia, or for nicotine, it can all, they can all mess up heart development in mice. And so it, it wasn't too far-fetched of an idea that THC or CBD could affect this as well. And so that's generally the, the basic, very, very basic um, understanding of heart development in mice. And it's very similar between mice and humans. Um, and so that's why using mice is actually a really good method to look at congenital um, heart defects. And it's actually even easier than rats because the hearts are so small. So it's very easy to section them and look at the morphology. So smaller hearts are easier to work with? Yes. Interestingly, smaller hearts are easier to work with. You have to be very skilled, especially um, with pregnancy research, because they're so small. If you are removing them, uh, it's, it's much more difficult in mice than in rats. But the benefit is that because the hearts are small to section them, it just takes less time. Yeah. Okay. So you, so uh, you have to talking about the, the heart development in the pup um, and you're, you're saying that, uh, you know, the rate of development is, is similar and the way it actually, the, the heart actually forms itself um, is similar to to a human. So it's like, a, it's a great model in that way. But you exactly. also mentioned that um, in order for timing that you don't actually let the mother give birth, you see kind of C-section at a certain time. So at that point is the, on a normal, in a normal mouse, um, is the heart fully developed in the pup or is it kind of uh, not ready yet? It you have a fully functional heart that, you know, it's hard, like a fully developed heart is a tricky question because even at birth, it's not a fully developed part. It continues to develop, you know, like a while after, like as you get older, your heart gets bigger. And interestingly, like the lungs is a good example that as the lungs, even at birth, it's not fully developed and it will continue to develop. You continue to get um, more alveoli so that you can breathe. And so the, even the heart, it's, it's similar that way. You're still growing, but you know, the valves are in particular do quite a bit of remodeling um, after birth. And so the heart isn't even at birth really complete um, and finished in terms of development because like the mice will grow quite a bit in size as well. However, at this time point, you know, there are still some slight differences between at birth and an adult as well as at birth compared to um, this time point, which is embryonic day 17.5. So it's just a few days before um, giving birth. You can go a day later, which some of my previous um, colleagues in, in my lab have done, but it's just a bigger heart. There isn't really much of a difference. And so it's, it's just easier to go at this time point. Yeah, okay. so that's what okay, we do. So, so at this point, um, you know, you've got mostly functional heart, like you said, yeah. um, except there's, you know, there's room for more development uh, coming up soon. But at this point, what did you see with what was the actual effect on the heart with the THC and the CBD? Yeah. So the really interesting thing is that as far as we're aware, nobody knows of this data or have found any um, abnormalities. And so that's why it was so interesting that we were the first ones to find this as, as far as we are aware. And that when we fed THC in pregnancy, we found that uh, the, the myocardial walls were much thicker. So it appeared like they were hypertrophic. 
And so this is hypertrophy, obviously, um, which many of us are familiar, you know, as you get older and older, usually you get hypertrophy, but they're actually seeing this um, just prior to birth. So it's a really interesting phenomenon. Now, not only are the walls thicker, we're also seeing that the valves are thicker. Um, and so potentially these could be stenotic in that the, the function of the heart may not um, it may not be able to pump the blood as well through the valves and into your entire, you know, your entire systemic circulation. And then lastly, we also notice hypoplastic coronary arteries. So this is just a decrease of coronary perfusion to the heart. So not only is the myocardial, myocardium thicker, so this is the, the muscle wall of the heart, there's also less coronary arteries. And so because of that, less blood is actually getting to the, to the actual um, muscle cells. So this is obviously very bad. And we actually not only looked at just prior to birth, but we did a study 21 days after birth and we did an echocardiogram. And we did find that the function of the heart 21 days after birth, so you have a pretty well-developed heart, we're still seeing that the function is significantly lower um, when fed THC compared to control mice. So that's so really interesting. So would these like ischemic and hypertensive effects like affect the lifespan of this baby mouse? So hypertension is a little bit different. So, okay. so it's not like related necessarily? Well, maybe, maybe am, I, am I right about that if I summarize what you said, if my understanding of what you're, what you're telling us about the heart is it's, it's thicker and doesn't pump blood properly. That's the main... Yeah, that's, that's pretty much right. Yeah. So yeah. hypertension is an increase in blood pressure in your, um, your blood vessels, specifically in your, um, your, your arteries, right? Uh, whereas these, the, the heart is actually undergoing, appears to be undergoing um, some sort of hypertrophy, um, thicker walls, I should say. And uh, so it's not necessarily hypertensive. It could be, we don't know, we haven't measured that. Um, but Essentially, the easy way to think about it is that they've got thick hearts that are ironically smaller. So they're, I, I like to say they're small, chubby hearts. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's cute. <laughs> yeah, and that uh, blood can't, isn't being properly pumped throughout the, um, throughout, uh, the mouse as well as um, it's not properly going into the heart um, through coronary perfusion. So that, that was the THC, right? You said, was yeah. there, is, it, is it identical in the CBD situation? No. So it, we actually have different results, which is really interesting. And we find that uh, when fed CBD, we're seeing what's called non-compaction of the myocardium. So you have to kind of understand a little bit more about the development of the heart. That when you first have a heart, the, the muscle of the heart in, say, the ventricles, it's just a one-cell layer. It undergoes what's called budding, where it will sort of create um, a little bud and it will develop and proliferate. So the cells will divide and increase in number and grow. And so you'll have these what's called trabeculations. So you have this one cell layer with a bunch of different trabeculations throughout the ventricles. And so this um, is a non-compact non heart, which as the heart development proceeds, you have what's called compaction, where these trabecular layers, I'm trying to show this in my camera, will actually form a compact layer. And so it'll be a multicellular layer uh, of what's called the myocardium. So this process is called compaction. And so we're seeing that there is a non-compaction of the myocardium in the ventricles, 
so that they're, they're not being compacted properly for some reason. And this is a, a common uh, congenital defect called, uh, specifically in the left ventricle, called non-compaction. Um, and it's quite a serious defect. And so that's the, one of the main ones we're seeing, non-compaction, in ironically, both the left and the right ventricle, um, as well as we're seeing hypoplastic coronary arteries again. So we are seeing um, hypoplastic coronary arteries in both, but it's a little bit different in that one is thicker compact wall, whereas the other, it's non-compaction. And so it's, it's kind of interesting that we're seeing these different results. Hmm. I guess I guess my my next question might might be obvious, but when what about both? I mean, typically people get weed; they don't have one or the other. They have the whole all weed. I mean, in in cannabis, there's like a lot of different things, as you mentioned. These are the two most common cannabinoids, but there's others. But but I mean, both of them are usually present. So, uh, is there? Did you look at both, or is this like a future future studies kind of thing? This would definitely be a future studies. We did not look at both. It was something we were considering doing. I just didn't have the time to do it. It was quite a bit of work for a master's, but uh, hopefully somebody in the future will look at it. Um, I was going to do it if I did stay and do a PhD, but we just didn't have the time and I, I didn't stay for a PhD. But you do bring up a good point that cannabis does contain, um, usually it contains a high amount of THC, but there are strains that have approximately an equivalent amount and there are also some that have a high amount of cbd but because we're doing it orally we kind of wanted to mimic the fact that many people will actually consume it orally like specifically cbd some people may consume it because uh thc and cbd has antiemetic and, and, and anxiolytic pardon me antiemetic and anxiolytic effects so women could pregnant women could use it to combat morning sickness and anxiety Specifically, if you're going to do this, usually you would you'd probably consume it orally. And so that's kind of one of the reasons why we also liked our whole oral model. So, so we're taking from this pretty much, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't consume cannabis, essentially. Well, if you're trying to become pregnant or if you are pregnant, don't consume cannabis. Don't consume cannabis-related products that have cannabinoids in it. That's a pretty good summary. And I mean, for those, let's say, who have been and like did consume cannabis during pregnancy and like the heart doesn't regenerate, like, is there any hope for <laughs> anything for them? Like, what can you tell them? Uh, yeah, it's a monitor your heart. <laughs> um, yeah, well, the thing is, when you are born, um, when all, all children, when they are born, they regularly go through heart um, the cardiologist will look at various properties of the heart for pretty much every neonate in, in Canada. So they will look at things like if you have any overt congenital heart defects. The interesting thing is that usually coronary arteries, um, at least in the past, have not been thoroughly looked at. And it's kind of a hard thing to look at, but um, maybe they will now going forward. Usually if you have some sort of coronary artery malformation or defect. Usually it's like you're 20 or you're 30 and you're exercising. And unfortunately you, you don't even know it and you just have you know a heart attack. And that's usually how people find out, which is, it's really sad and unfortunate. And it's part of the reason why maybe we haven't actually seen any epidemiology is that usually they, they aren't actually diagnosed at birth. It'd be very easy, you know, if we saw at birth, hey, they have this defect, 
why do they have this defect? And they could just see like, oh, a lot of people are consuming cannabis during pregnancy. And because they aren't, you know, diagnosing these at birth, it's hard to actually tell that. Yeah. So um, uh, we're just getting close to time here, um, but it seems like this is, you know, a, a, a good finding. At least we know now <laughs> that there's likelihood of these negative effects. So people can be precautious and yeah. future studies can, you know, look into, you know, uh, more translatability and like exactly what combination and and all, and all the things that <laughs> all the all the extra details we need to work out but uh for now uh if people want to find out what you're up to and they want to or find out more about this work in terms of uh social media um where can they go yeah so if you are interested feel free to follow me on twitter at greg ian robinson you can also follow my supervisor at QFang3. Um, so that's QFang and then the number three. And we will hopefully be publishing a paper soon. And we will be putting it on our Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's the best way to do it. Excellent. Thank you for coming on and sharing that work. I'm sure people are eager to see this new paper to come out and uh, more work in the future on this topic. Um, with that, this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Ariel Frame. My co-host was Nicole Poznoff, and we've been speaking with Greg Robinson, the one and only. <laughs> and this episode was produced by Laura Minos. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. That's grad students who want to be guests, or if you want to be behind the mic like we are as well, we're looking for committee members as well. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Gradcast Radio, and you can listen to us on the radio at 94.9 FM Radio Western. Um, you can find our episodes on our website, gradcast.ca, and podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever podcasts are available, you'll find us. Alternatively, uh, we have certain episodes which we do in video format. If you want to see our pretty faces, go to YouTube, Gradcast Radio. We'll be there too. Thank you for listening. Have a great night.